The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. all this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, why don't you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to continue our series uh, that we've been in the last several weeks of what the church is, what the church is, and the church is, we've looked at several different things. Most recently, the church is one in Christ, but today, the church is where we grow together. The church is where we grow together. And as you turn there, I want to remind you, we're doing this in part, if you're visiting, because we as a church at Tower View, uh, before uh, the pandemic started, had had some plans to move forward with some changes and things. And like everyone else, we've kind of pivoted and slowed down and, and had to put the brakes on some of those plans. But as we prepare as a church to, in the coming weeks to talk about what God may be leading us to do among us, we want to remind ourselves of what we are to be as a church, what we are to do as a church, and how we are to be the people of God in the church. That doesn't sound very practical. It doesn't sound very exciting. It doesn't sound very enthusiastic and invigorating. But I guarantee you, if you love the Lord, you also love the local church. There's never a Christian who has hated the local church. Well, there are, but there... We, that was planned, let me tell you. Am I working okay, Tom? Everything's working fine, all right. But I do want you to know there are people who have been hurt by the church, who have had things happen at the church. But I want to tell you this, despite all those things, and those are real things, that Christ has called Christians into fellowship of a local church. God does not know any lone ranger. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need the brothers and sisters in Christ Christians. He always knows Christians together in a local church. I guess that's God's divine seal of approval and everything that's being said so far. So that's good. But hey, Tom, in all seriousness, if I need to use the wireless, I can use the wireless. Not we're a big deal. All right. We're using the wireless. You are using the wireless. That's wireless. This is why we call Pastor Nelson Pastor of Stuff, because he helps us. Thank you, Pastor. Well, if you have your Bibles with that in mind, would you join us in standing for God's Word for First Peter 2, 1 through 3, if you're able to? Uh, we do this in part because this is how it's done in old times, not just old American times, but old biblical times. They stood in honor of God's Word. So if you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, if you, can, if you have your ears, let him who has ears uh, listen, is what Christ said. Uh, lend your ears. And so here's what it says, First Peter 2, Peter is writing. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants or newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. 
like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is our topic today. It is very straightforward, but I pray as it has been for me this week, it is good reminders for you and challenges for you as you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ, and especially as a church as we grow together. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and we'll be seated after we pray. Let's go before our Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is what we have. Lord, there are opinions and talking heads on every channel and radio station and internet, YouTube uh, uh, channel as well and, and beyond. But Lord, we thank you that your word, the Bible, the sufficient, inspired, infallible, authoritative, Father, word that you have given us is everything we need for life and godliness. Father, we thank you for that. Even if we are older, we are younger, we've been in the church for a long time, the need to grow in Christ never ceases until you come or call us home. So, Lord, thank you so much. We love you and we praise you. Give us wisdom today, we ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, there was a group of tourists who traveled out for a sightseeing tour in a foreign land. I know that wouldn't happen in COVID time probably, but just bear with me. And they got to a picturesque village up in the mountains, and they passed by an old man who was sitting just outside a fence. And one of the tourists asked him, he said, well, this village is beautiful, but in all honesty, sir, who great has come and what men have been born in this village that I might know? He said, no great men have been born, only babies have been born. <laughs> and so that's how it goes most often. If you are in Christ, Christians are not born with an instant or automatic or spiritual maturity. We are born again spiritual babes, but we grow into spiritual maturity. When someone becomes a Christian, it is always a supernatural miracle, greater than creation, greater than any of the miracles of the Old Testament or New Testament. The greatest miracle is that God would take you and take me, sinners who deserve wrath and hell and judgment and love us and grow us up in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel 101. But it's a lifelong process, isn't it? And at times it feels like you're walking through syrup more than you're swimming in the lap pool next to Michael Phelps and all his gold medals. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says it this way. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Look, it is the will of God that by the Spirit of God, that you use the Word of God to help each of the children of God to look like the Son of God. Did you get that? Unfortunately, many Christians, though, are suffering, even in pandemic times, from spiritual malnutrition, arrested development, and juvenile de delinquency in their faith. And so we have many Christians running around that are, that are focused on the world rather than growing in Jesus Christ. And friends, I'm here to tell you as a Christian, it's time to get out of our spiritual cribs, throw away the pacifiers, and put up the toys. It's time to grow up spiritually. Well, when do you want, when do you do that, Pastor? Well, it's kind of like this. Have you ever been asked that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember what you used to answer? You probably aren't that today, and that's okay. Maybe you are. But I hope one of the things you'll say as a Christian as you grow is when I grow up, I want to be closer to God than I ever have been before. The older I get, the longer I stay a Christian, I want to be more like 
him. And friends, that is our big idea today, is that the common goal of our family of God is this, is that we be together more Christ-like, more mature, and more growing than we ever have been. That is the goal, one of the goals of our church. But God commands us to be holy. Be holy, therefore, he said, as I am holy. But that is not a private matter. It is a private matter. you You are growing in Christ as an individual, but more importantly, you are also to learn to love your brothers and sisters in Christ who are not like you, who don't share the same interests as you as you grow together. But you can't practice this love until you grow out of spiritual immaturity. And I'm speaking of myself. I mean, mark it down. You can come every week. We encourage you to. You can be active in membership. You can serve in the body of Christ. You can give. You can uh, have a mystical experience, a warm fuzzy for Jesus. But spiritual maturity is demonstrated in two ways. It's how you live before God and how you live with other Christians. And I'm telling you, in these days, perhaps more than any recently, living with other Christians is probably the hardest growth some of us are going to have to do before we grow up in Jesus Christ. But Peter tells us the only way to do this is for us to grow together. So what does that look like? We're going to look at it in three ways today, uh, how we grow in Christ. But what I'm going to tell you, Peter is writing to a group that is scattered about. They're being persecuted. And in chapter 1, he's told them about the hope and security and greatness of their salvation. But now he's putting some practical feet to it. This new life requires commitment. It requires a love for one another, and the only way to grow is to grow in the spiritual word that God has given us. So three things today. I want you to look at three things that I pray will stimulate your spiritual appetite for the word of God and the people of God as we grow together in Jesus Christ. The first one is this. will be up on the screen. I say this the last few weeks, and I'm kind of joking. If you came for the PowerPoint graphics, then you are in store because these are out of this world. You ready? Here's the first one. Amy's going to wow you with this transition. You ready? She's going to push the button, and there it is. The first one is you're going to rid yourself of the sins that ruin your appetite for the Lord. I really wanted you to hang in suspense of that first one, because if you came for those clicky things, then you're coming for the wrong things. If you don't know me and you're visiting, I am very goofy and quirky up here. We take the Word of God seriously, but we're grateful for things like PowerPoint. But the first thing I want you to see is this, is to rid yourself of the sins of your appetite for the Word. I want you to picture this scenario, though. Say you got motivated after the Olympics, and you go and wake up early, and you go to the gym, and you start working out, and you have a great workout. Maybe it's the first time you got a few steps in, you lifted some weights, you feel as big as Elaine with those muscles sticking out and all those sorts of things. And afterwards, you're sweaty, you're stinky, you're salty, and you're smelly. So you go and take a shower and you take those clothes off. You take a long, hot shower. You feel like a brand new person. Folger's got nothing on you waking up. You are ready to go. But when you emerge from that shower, you put on those same sweaty, salty, sticky, smelly, clothes again. Please tell me you do not do this at your house. Of course you wouldn't do that. It's nasty. Even if you mow the yard outside for an hour, you feel gross. We know that would totally nullify the cleansing of the bath or shower that you just took. 
But friends, that's exactly what many of us do when it comes to spiritual growth in Christ. We may read our Bibles daily. We may go to church weekly. We may serve in ministry faithfully. But there's little evidence of change in our lives because we refuse to acknowledge and confess and forsake the things of this world. And Paul, excuse me, Peter tells us here five things that he wants us to put away. Did you notice that? Look at that. Look back at verse one. He says to put away, literally to take off, to, to rid yourself of, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. Put aside. It was used to refer to old soil or dirty clothing. I mean, my wife will tell you we have a special batch of clothes for my running clothes, and they have to stay outside. Like they literally stay outside. Then we take the downy uh, uh, the little pellets that you throw in there that make the laundry smell good. Then we take a scoop of OxyClean and put it in too. And that's still not enough for her, and, and, and that, that's okay because I stink that bad. I can tell you after I run, I do stink, and that's why we do that. You don't put on things that are nasty. But in the New Testament, you are called to rid your life of sin. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so e easily entangles us. Look, if you're going to run a distance race, you must put on the appropriate clothing. Ladies, you don't run a marathon in high heels and pumps with a banquet gown on. Gentlemen, you don't run in alligator shoes with a three-piece suit. You could. You'd look silly, but that's not what makes you achieve your goal. And as Christians, we are burdened by the weights of this world. And he tells us here to lay aside. What are we to lay aside? Well, he lists this out for you. He says, first off, he says, first off, take off your spiteful attitudes. That word malice there in verse 1. That word malice is very keen. It means anger, bitterness, hatred, ill will, or unforgiveness. If you want to grow as a Christian, then you must start by getting rid of the anger in your heart, especially towards God and other Christians. And I want to tell you here that in these Greek words here, this is, this is a, a one-time thing. We're supposed to break away from these. God has called us out of this stuff. Well, friend, I'm just going to ask you today, before you can grow in Christ, are you seriously mad at someone here at this church? Has someone, maybe the pastor, pastors, have rubbed you the wrong way? Do you have bitterness in your heart for someone who's not accepted your forgiveness? Is there someone you need to forgive, or do you need to let someone off the hook? I mean, if you answer no just because you're able to speak to that person and be nice to them, are you able to be nice to that person who's wronged you? Or are you really, truly still angry at them? I mean, some of you in your friendships, in your marriages, you still hold bitterness about things that happened decades ago. And what Peter says here is if you want to grow in Christ, you have to get rid of this malice. Malice is a sin of the heart. This is where it starts. In fact, it's a sin of anger. I mean, anger is not always bad. Christ had righteous, perfect anger. And Ephesians tells us not to let the sun go down on anger. There's times to be mad about things the Bible says are right when society is set. It's not the microphone. But there are things that God says that are wrong. Society says is right. You need to be angry with. But 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but be in your thinking. Be mature. Christian, one of the first steps that you have to grow in Christ with to rid yourself 
and, and to ruin your appetite for the word is that you're just angry. You're angry at the world. You're angry at the nation. You're angry at everything. Have you taken that to God? That could be a huge stunting of your growth. The second thing he mentions, and this is three here of the five, uh, is to take off your selfish ways. You need to take off your selfish ways. Notice what he says here. He says deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. That's the ESV. He says, first of all, there is deceit. The deceit. This is what is a two-faced person. It's someone who takes advantage over someone else. There is, and I don't mind calling him out by name because he, he, is, he is now apostatized the faith. He's literally less, left the faith. We mentioned his name before, Josh Harris, who used to have a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye back in the 90s. Maybe you as a grandparent or parent had a kid read that. My wife and I grew up on this stuff. Josh Harris uh, started a whole movement about how you shouldn't date, but you should court. You should get permission of parents and all these things. It was good, good ideas. Well, over the years, two years ago, he said he was no longer a Christian. He said he was no longer a father or husband. He deconstructed, as it were, as he said, his faith. Well, now he has a course for $275 an hour that you can take to be focused on how you too can break away from your faith as a Christian. Sounds like an opportunist to me. He's a deceitful man. Anytime he sees opportunity for gain, he grabs at it. And Christian, I want you to know that this word here is like baiting a hook in order to catch a fish. The worm is placed on a fish to bite the fisherman's line. It's a decoy. It's a, it's a smoke screen. But that's not what we have been called to. We, if we are following Christ's example, we must remind ourselves that we are to be honest with one another in the body of Christ, not deceitful, not opportunistic, but humble and faithful. He also says, throw away deceit. He says, throw away also hypocrisy. Throw away also hypocrisy. You all know this old story. You've seen those masks. If you're in drama, you see the mask of the white face and the black face or whatever colors they are. One is smiling, one is sad. It's a two-faced person. It's someone who literally lives one way this point of their life and goes out and does that at all. Oh, but Christians never do that, do they? They never smile in church and go home and yell the next moment. That's never happened to you. You've never had a fight in the parking lot with your spouse or your kids right before you walked in the church door. Amen. If you can't say, yeah, come on, guys. If you can't say amen, Vody Bauckham says, you ought to say ouch. And I think that's pretty true. A hypocrite is a person who deliberately pretends to be something that he is not in the first place. And Jesus, I want to remind you, reserved the harshest rebukes for religious hypocrites because you cannot grow if you're more concerned about what people think of you than you are about what God knows about you. But he also says envy here. Envy also stunts your growth. Envy is more, much more than selfishness, much more than wanting something else. It's wanting something else that is not necessarily envy. I mean, envy is personal. Envy is something that when you look at someone else, you say, if I don't get that, I can't be happy. If I don't have the spiritual growth of that person, if I don't have the family like this person, if I don't have whatever, then I cannot be happy. And friends, when you are envious, it fills your heart with malicious intentions that causes you to be a hypocrite that makes you envy all the more. Envy is a littleness of the soul. 
when you forget what God has given you. Look at verse 3. Do you know what it says? Verse 3, 1 Peter 2, look back there. It says, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know what the cure for envy is? God has given you all that you need to have in the moment that you need to have it. That's what it is. He's given you this day our daily bread. Israel did that, didn't they? Man, if I could just get the meat of Egypt, I told us, if I could just go back to Egypt, they had meat there. Yeah, dude, but you were also a slave in Egypt. Is the meat worth the slavery? But friends, this is how we work. And we are stunted in our growth in Christ when we allow selfish attitudes, selfish ways, and spiteful attitudes to come out. Last one is this, first point. He says that we are to take off our slanderous conversations. Slander, ooh. If every politician in the world could hear and memorize this verse. You know, I think a politician could win just by keeping their mouth shut. Did you ever think about that? If you're looking to run for office, I think if you just kept your mouth shut, you probably would win. Because most of the translations that come out of this word slander is exactly what it means. It means backbiting. It means tearing down. It means ripping up. Slander is exactly what you think it is. It is talking about someone behind their back so viciously that you are, it's just terrible. 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4 says that we are not called to live as the Gentiles do, but we are called to live in a way that honors God. Friends, when you go to a place where you refuse to do sinful things, people are going to talk bad about you for your faith in Christ. Maybe you've had that happen. But Peter is especially talking about Christians among Christians. Many of us will never reach that level of maturity because our prayer requests turn into gossip. Our talking nicely about someone reminds us of some anger that we have and we want to share that with the other person to one-up them. Our criticism against one another in the church stops us from growing inside the church. Be careful. But I want to remind you, you don't just throw all these things off and take them off just to take them off. Look, anyone with a TED Talk, T-E-D Talk, can talk about these things. We do these things because Christ has called us together as one family. And Tower View, I don't sense from our pastoral chairs, I'm looking at Pastor Nelson, I don't sense we have these things running rampant in our church, but they could at any moment. Would you pray for us that as we seek to grow together, that we throw these things off? So many churches, can I speak to you about churches right now? So many churches are dying because we're fighting over mask and no mask. I'm going to say it again. Christ is king. Christ is king. Don't ever let anyone take that away from you. We want people to be safe. But if you are so angry about our decision or another church's decision or something else, if that's preventing you from worshiping God, you are making an idol out of that decision more so than you're uplifting Christ, who's above all those decisions. Be careful. Friend, it is so easy to stunt your growth by being mad at the culture. Look, Christian, non-Christians are going to do what non-Christians are going to do. Sinners are going to sin. Just like a little kid, if you leave him in a room for long enough with a cupcake in the middle of the table and broccoli next to it, I can guarantee you nine times out of ten, unless they come from a vegan family, which ones are probably going to take, don't you? But Christians, we are not called that way. We are called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ for his glory. 
Rid yourselves of the sins that ruin your appetite. I don't know if any of those relate to you. But if you are not growing in Christ, I'd pray that you'd examine your life as you seek to do that. Second thing is this. Realize the wholesome goodness of growth that comes from the Word. Verse 1 is negative. It's a negative term. But I want you to see the positive of verse 2. We are to long. Look back at your Bible. If you haven't, look at it again. It says in verse 2, you are to long for, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for the pure spiritual milk. What is he saying here? To put away in verse 1 is to, is to follow what is in verse 2. In other words, by laying aside these sins, you desire to know God's Word. Look, you can't have a strong, growing, healthy desire for God's Word if, if your life is closed in the very sins that God condemns. The old axiom is right. It's been long said that either prayer and the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from prayer and the Bible. So if you want to know, it, it, look, if there's any unconfessed sin in your life, if there's something in your life keeping you from growing in Christ, you need to look at verse 2. But if you have gone through and said, Lord, search me and try me, then you're ready for verse, verse 1, but you're ready for verse 2. And that's where it comes in. Look, you need to grow in the Word. And the first way you do that is you crave God's Word intensely. You crave God's Word intensely. And you'll see that up on the screen. But before we say this, I want to say what this does not say. This does not say to hear. I want to hear, say this clearly. It does not say to hear, read, study, or meditate, memorize, share, or obey the Word of God. That's another place in the Scripture, but that's not what it says here. Rather, it commands us to adopt a certain attitude towards this Bible, towards knowing and growing in Christ, a certain attitude. And that attitude is, is that God's Word is something that we want to do. This word here, longing, is, is in present tense. It's something we desire to do. I know there are times in, in life and in relationship where we, we don't have a strong connection with people we're close to, but intimately we want to know them, so we long for that. But what I want you to know is what Peter is saying. This goes beyond 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. It goes beyond a few moments before work. It goes beyond a few moments together as a family, as great as those are. We are to crave God's Word as a way of life. I mean, seriously. I challenge some of you, and you came up to me a few weeks ago, to turn off Fox News, turn off CNN, turn off social media, and just Spend time in the Word of God. A few of you came up and said, that's been some of the most refreshing time I've had in my life. And one of the most peaceful two weeks you could ever have. Doesn't mean as a Christian you shouldn't know what's going on in the world. Doesn't mean that social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever other new things on the horizon, Twitter, is out there, is wrong. But the question is, what truly has your heart? What do you crave for in the morning? For some of you, I know, I think my wife's this way too. If you don't get the coffee, we don't make it through the day, man. And that's okay. But seriously, beyond the physical, do you desire God's Word in your life? I mean, is this just become another book? Is this just become another thing that you do? Or do you really desire it? I mean, I, we have a young baby in our midst here. Uh, that one of our couples is helping take care of in a, in, a, in a great situation of just love and care. And we love our families who care for other children in times of need when other families cannot. 
I guarantee you when that baby's hungry, if it's 3 a.m., if it's 1 a.m., if it's 11:15 a.m., when a baby's hungry, what do they do? They cry out. And you can put a pacifier in them. You can shush them. You can walk. You can do everything on there. They have one desire. What is that? They want to eat. They don't care about their diaper. They want to eat. And Christian, is that how we feel about the Word of God? I mean, seriously, so do you desire the Word of God more than any instruction you have in your life? The newborn here is just that. Look, when a baby's born, they don't want a Happy Meal. They don't want a PlayStation, an Xbox, or a GameCube. They don't want to go to Disneyland. They just want to eat. And if you're a Christian here today, growing Christians are the same way. I would ask that you pray this week for your wife, your family, your kids, your church, or whoever, that you can't sleep well at night, that you have not been in the Word of God that day. Some of you used to have that passion. You used to long for God's Word in your life more than many things in your life, and that's been gone. Friend, it's not too late to get back to it. As Pastor Nelson says very well, if you're on one of those Bible reading programs, it's like daily, read through the Bible in 365 days, and on January 17th, you got off the train and you haven't hopped back on from the station since, guess what? The train of God's Word is still there. You can get back on anytime. But what are you waiting on? But he says, secondly here, why do you do this? He says, he says you should crave God's Word with, with an appetite here intensely, but you should also crave it intentionally. And you'll see that up on the screen, intentionally. Notice the end of verse 2. He says that you may grow up into salvation. Why do you want to know God's Word better? Why do we put away the five sins of verse 1? How do you grow in Christ? You intentionally do it. You set aside time. You do whatever it takes to get to that point. There is no standstill Christian. Look, you're either growing or you're withering away in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it best, didn't he? He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look, we live in a day where many Christians profess obedience to God's word, and they will turn up to do everything everything for the church except set under the teaching of God's Word. Christian, you have to know that. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know we ask a question around here more than anything else is, what does the Word of God say? This is what it's about. I don't care what entertainment says. I don't care what the marketing ploys are, sociology, psychology, therapy, you name it. We care what God's Word says. That's what it's about. Amen? But friends, I want you to know this is enough for us. And Christian, why do you read the Word of God as you do? You read it to grow closer to Christ. And that's what it's about. It isn't rocket science. But if you're a Christian here today, has your desire for God's Word increased or decreased in the last year and a half? Seriously. I shared back in December that many people have said on one of these Bible apps, one of the Bible apps, I think, I forget the name of the app, but it's on there. But on the Bible app, they said that the Bible was downloaded more times than ever on smartphones during the pandemic, and people read the Bible more than they ever have. Well, that's crazy because the mo some of the most fearful people I know are people of the Christian faith, including myself at times. 
Christian, look, all scriptures God breathed and it's profitable for correction and training and righteousness that God may make us competent, equipped for every good work. If you're here today and you don't know what the Bible says, let me just be very clear with you. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says before you can crave the Word of God, you have to know what the Word of God says. And it says that you sinned and you've fallen short of His glory. And the only way to come to heaven is through Christ, His Son. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, the first thing I want you to know is that God talks about you and He loves you and He desires a relationship with you. But you have to know it only is found in His Word. You can't be good enough, try hard enough. It's only Christ alone. Last thing is this. You not only realize the wholesome goodness, but you experience the good grace of God. Look at verse 3. If you have tasted and seen, if you're not awake, wake back up. you tasted and see that the Lord is good. For how do we know God is good? You're breathing, aren't you? How do you know God is good? He saved you, hasn't he? How do you know that God is good? He, he, he's given you things in this life. But the greatest gift he has, verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, if you do not know, if you do not know the goodness of the Lord, it means that you are missing out on everything. Peter affirms here that only those who know Christ are truly living. Look, I know we live in a world, and we always have been, where you turn on the TV or the internet, and you see people live in life, but you know inside when they go to bed and no one else is around, even if they have a spouse or whatever other person in their house, when they go to bed, they know they are empty. They won't say it because they'll lose followers. Well, they might gain some because they're being real, they're talking honestly, they're being transparent, and that's all good. But friends, let's be completely honest. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your life is worthless. Not worthless that God created you. He created you in His image and gave you purpose. But if you're not embracing the purpose He has for you in Jesus Christ, everything else is null and void. So if you've tasted that the Lord is good, look, if you've tasted the Lord is good, then you will want everything to do to grow in Jesus Christ. You'll want everything to do to be invited to that understanding that God has saved you. Lord, you, you have literally forgiven all my sin. What can I do for you? And friends, that's what it is. You have to know that the Lord is so good. He's so good. Christians, I just want to remind you of that. I don't know if someday we're going to be in an Afghan situation where people are going to come in and say, look, it's Jesus or your life. That's happened in, in recent years at schools, in Columbine, back in 99, all the way up until now. It happens more than you know. But I want to remind you, our Lord is greater than COVID. Our Lord is greater than pandemics and politics. Our Lord is greater than whatever you have in your life. He has been good to you. If you are breathing, He has a purpose for you. And I want you to know that after all these things, God is so good. He is so good. That old hymn captures it well. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Christian, I want you to know that we have the greatest truth ever. Please don't sit on that. We want to see this world change. Our appetite for this has to increase. 
has to increase. Pray that for each other. Pray that for all of us. And if you're walking that line and you're reading your Bible and you're on fire for Christ, take this as an encouragement to keep on doing that. But I want to remind you, Christian, the Book of Mormon, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower, the Quran, the Bahavagad Gita of the Hindus, you name the text, it is another book with print in it. You have the very Word of God. May we make good use of it in our lives. May our kids not walk out of our houses, our grandkids, may our co-workers, may everyone we know lovingly hear the Word of God from us. That's what it's all about. I know this is not the most invigorating sermon you could ever give. But if caught on properly, our church will be a church that is known as a place that wants the Word of God more than anything else. And I can't think of any desire better than we can have as a body. Let's pray as we go before our Lord. We'll invite the worship team back up. And uh, let's pray together. Father, as we close out our last song before we go outside to partake of the Lord's Supper, together, Lord. We pray that you help us, Lord, to learn to love your word better and better in our lives. Father, it seems so simple. This is such a straightforward passage. We know the truths, many of us in this room, so well. But Lord, even in our remembrance, would you remind us of how amazing you are? Would you refresh for us, Lord, even today, even how this last 24 hours you have blessed us Father, with all the goodness of your hand, Father, would you remind us of those days for some of us where we were so on fire for Jesus, nothing could have put us out, spiritually speaking. No water could have doused out the fire you were growing in our souls. But then we got religious. We got busy with the church, and those aren't always bad things. But, Father, we, we, the word got crowded out in the midst of those things. Father, for our church, if, if, forgive us if we've ever allowed anything else to take priority of what we are doing right here on a Sunday morning. In the future, gives wisdom to protect against those things. Father, if in any level, from our kids up to our oldest, if we have allowed anything to partake over the growth that we are called to be in Christ, 